Scripture reading today is from Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 through 9. That's Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 through 9. Hear now the word of the Lord. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Horatio Spafford was an American lawyer who lost virtually everything in the great Chicago fire of 1871. Two years later, when he had sent his wife Anna along with four daughters ahead across the Atlantic Ocean to England for a trip, he waited only to hear that the ship that they were in hit another ship and began to sink. Anna managed to gather four little girls together and they prayed and prayed, but the ship went under and eventually they all got scattered in waves and all of the girls drowned. Anna was discovered unconscious when she was rescued by a ship taken to England where she cabled Horatio with these words, saved alone. When Horatio Spafford was on the ship over to England to bring Anna back home, these words, famous words that many of us have sang and were challenged and comforted, were penned. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. We'll be able to sing these songs, these lyrics later on during the after service time, and I invite you to prayerfully sing these songs. But the question that I can't help but wonder is how does a man with such grief, such loss, write and sing such words? I can't help but think only through the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding. It is this sort of peace, the peace of God, supernatural peace that God promises to those who trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord. And today, this morning, I want to invite us to um, learn together so that we may receive this promise that God has for us in the book of Philippians. Now, long ago, uh, we went through the book of Philippians on Saturday mornings, but let me just uh, remind a couple of things. This 
this church uh, was started by Apostle Paul with Lydia, who was known for, as a seller of purple cloths and dyes. And women um, continued to serve a significant role in starting this church and building. Paul's writing this letter as a letter of thanks. Uh, it's a thank you letter for the gift that they have sent him. And it's also a letter of encouragement to encourage them to stand firm in their faith and to rejoice in the Lord continually. Paul's writing this letter, sitting in a Roman prison, most likely. He's not sure whether he's going to live or die. He has seen and experienced competitors and enemies among churches in Rome and Philippi. This isn't the context that we see today's passage. And right before the passage we read, in the latter part of chapter 3, we see Paul exhorting, encouraging the believers to pursue Christ-likeness both as a goal in this life and as a prize in the next life. In verse 1 of chapter 4, Paul exhorts the church to stand firm together, especially pointing eventually to Yodia and Syntyche, these two church leaders, to stand firm in unity. And this uh, theme of unity has been, um, we've seen this before, because in chapter 1, Paul charged again the church to stand firm as one church united in the gospel. And it's in this context that we see verses 2 through 9, that uh, we, we examine what it means to experience this peace of God which surpasses all understanding. So these two women, Euodia and Syntyche, are godly women. They've been part of this core group of the church. They work shoulder to shoulder with Apostle Paul. Their names are written along with others in the Lamb's Book of Life. And there's the people that you look up to who played a pivotal role. And it's Paul that mentions their name, seeking them to reconcile. If they were kind of losing focus and falling asleep, this moment as the names are listed and pointed out, they have woken up and begin to pay attention because their division was causing strife in the church. Probably not a theological issue, because if it were the case, Paul would have spelled it out, but it was probably a personal differences that has caused this division within the church. And Paul is no stranger to this sort of situation, and neither should we be surprised if we see divisions in church, because it's gonna happen. We preach a message of reconciliation, And God is sincerely concerned with us making peace with one another. And that is the first exhortation that we see, that we seek peace among members of the church. Every member, you and I, we have a part and responsibility in this process of forgiving and reconciling with those that we are not in peace with. And that's what we're charged with. If we want to experience this peace that transcends all understanding, we begin where we are now with those that we do not have peace with. We go out and seek peace amongst those. So if that's the first personal exhortation, the first general exhortation is this charge to rejoice always. This call to rejoice always has no exceptions or loopholes. It's always where to rejoice. And in case they missed it, he says it again. Again, I say rejoice. And the verb tense is this continual, habitual practice. We are to do it again and again on a regular basis. Rejoicing is not a feeling. 
Rejoicing is praising God with this deep confidence that he is in control and he's doing everything for his glory and our good. In chapter 4, verse 1, we, we, read, we heard that we're called to stand firm in the Lord, and here we are to rejoice in the Lord always. This phrase, in the Lord, repeats, and it's really referring to what we deeply think about God, the spiritual stability that we are to have in God, in the truth. And our stabi- spiritual stability is directly related to what and how we think about God. A.W. Tozer, in a classic book titled The Knowledge of Holy, writes this. What comes, in, in, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Let me read that again. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. We need this true biblical knowledge of God to enable us to rejoice in him, to stand firm in him. If we know great truths about God, rejoicing in the Lord is easy, or at least easier. If we have difficulty in rejoicing, it is likely that our knowledge of him is small and limited. Joy, rejoicing, is not a feeling. It does not depend on circumstances, but it's from the Lord and in the Lord. How does someone like Apostle Paul, who is imprisoned, who's alone, who's cold, who's facing possible death, who's experiencing pressure from inside and outside, rejoice continually? Surely Paul isn't talking about this kind of superficial happiness that one gives when um, things are going well. No, things are not going well, at least in the worldly standard. How does any one of us during this self-quarantine time, perhaps feeling sick and ill, perhaps uh, having lost our job or facing uncertainty about tomorrow, how do we rejoice in the Lord continually? Only the redeemed, the born again, will and can rejoice in the Lord. We do this by focusing on the fact that we are forgiven sinners that reconciliation with our creator has been given, that the gift of the Holy Spirit, communion of saints, yes, even in this season, uh, is given to us, and we have the assurance of glory that is yet to come, all of this secured by Jesus Christ. The reality, though, is we are prone to forget the glories and the privileges that is in the gospel. We're not talking about mere optimism, that things will just get better. That's being naive. And we're not talking about pessimism, thinking that nothing will get better because that's actually atheistic in a sense. But we stand firm in the Lord. We rejoice in the Lord, focusing on what God has done in Jesus Christ. Now here's a key. We don't rejoice in the Lord's blessing. You rejoice in the Lord. There are tears. There is loneliness. There is grief. There is pain. But as long as we're anchored in the Lord, not in the blessings and the gifts, but in the Lord himself, we can stand firm and we can rejoice in the Lord. COVID pandemics 
has not undone the cross, or the empty tomb. Jesus is still victorious and he will always be. Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 reminds us of this truth. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not given to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. This sort of spiritual buoyancy enables us to rejoice in the Lord in midst of our suffering, pain, sorrow. You may think that opposite of joy is sadness, but Bible doesn't say so because we're called to rejoice even in sadness. Now, happiness, if you think about it, is actually a counterfeit of joy because happiness finds comfort of things that we want. Happiness rests in the comfort of the blessings and the gifts. Joy, however, rests in the security of the blesser, the giver himself. Now the second general exhortation or third exhortation is a charge to be reasonable. Um, Being reasonable is a call in the way we deal with one another. It could be explained as the call to be kind, gentle, generous, respectful, to be selfless. During this COVID pandemic, we are called not to be selfish because being selfish won't give you peace that you're looking for. We need to be wise, but we do need to be selfless. We need to be gentle, generous in the way we deal with one another despite the challenges. Now, at the end of verse five, there's a phrase that we see that kind of links all before and after. It says, the Lord is near, or the Lord is at hand. Pastor Eugene ended last sermon um, capping the whole Matthew series, reminding us in the Great Commission that the Lord will, the Lord promised that he will be with us always. Here, the Lord is at hand, the Lord is near, has two components, both temporal in terms of time, reminding us that he will come again to judge the living and the dead, and also spatial in that he is near us. His Holy Spirit is with us. Now to the fourth exhortation or the third general um, exhortation. The first one was a personal exhortation, right? And we have three general exhortation. It's a call to not be anxious, but pray with thanksgiving. We are exhorted not to be anxious because the Lord is near. He's returning soon and he is with us. Instead of being consumed with anxiety or um, turned to apathy, we're called to go to God in prayer with thanksgiving. Because we know that God is near, God is with us, we can rejoice. Because the Lord is near, we can practice selflessness. Because the Lord is near, we are called to seek peace with one another and combat anxiety. Now, I don't know if you can remember the last time you had a fight with your best friend or with your spouse. And in the midst of that fight, someone you both respected walked in and you realize the smallness of what you're fighting about and the shame you felt. The Lord is near. He is about to walk in. He will return. We don't know when. 
He is with us. And that nearness should challenge the way we deal with all these challenges. When you think about common prayer or pagan prayer, there's usually a lack of thanksgiving. It's usually a list of petitions that we want from God. We want God to do this, this, and this for us. However, true Christian biblical prayer breeds of thanksgiving. It's grounded in thanksgiving for what God has done, especially in Jesus Christ. Now, let's be real. The Philippian church had plenty of things to worry about. They were persecuted. They experienced division. But they're called not to worry, not be anxious, because the Lord is near, and this Lord is in charge, and he is good. When you feel anxious, you know what it really reveals in us? It reveals that we, although we might say God is good, God is in control, when my anxiety grows, the truth inside of what I truly believe at that moment is that I don't think God is in control, and I don't believe that God is good. And when those things happen, we are called to turn to God, to confess our sins, because often sin might be related or connected. And I need to remind myself that the knowledge of Christ is faulty right now. It's tainted by sin and things of this world. So when we begin to be anxious, if you are a Christ follower, we go back to the cross and the empty tomb where we see with absolute clarity his sovereignty and his goodness. Instead of worrying and being anxious in our attempt to feel more in control, we're called to pray to the one who is truly in control. In the Sermon on the Mount, as we went through the Gospel of Matthew, we were reminded, because Jesus taught this, not to be anxious or worry, because Heavenly Father knows us. He knows our needs, and he will take care of us. There is a warning, though. This message isn't for everyone, meaning if you're not a believer in Christ, if you don't trust him as your Savior and Lord, then there is something to worry about. Because if that is the case, then you have turned your back on the only one who can give you the true peace that you are looking for. And if you are in that situation, the Lord wants you to turn to him, cast your cares upon him, starting with your sin and trust in him and believe in what he has done and live for him. If that's you, I want to invite you to reach out to me or to Pastor Eugene. We would love to. I'd love to speak with you in starting that journey. Now, some of you might think, well, Pastor Paul, this is 2020. Not be anxious. Maybe if you lived during Jesus' days when they had less things to worry about. Or maybe if you lived like 200, 300, 400 years ago where you lived in a little town and the extent of what you worried about is a couple of hundred people who live in your town. And maybe at most another 20 mile away there was another town. But those kind of news you heard a day later. So you really couldn't worry that much. We live in a day of globalization and age of communication where right away instantaneously we hear what happened across the world. Not be anxious? That's not possible. So we may think. The cynics within us, either we obsess over anxieties in the name of realism, or just get angry and start blaming, or 
Some of us, we escape the realities by numbing ourselves, ignoring the real things, and we turn to our drugs of choice, and we just spend hour after an hour playing games, watching Netflix, alcohol, even reading, or other addictive behaviors in our, turn, in our desire to escape from the pain and the anxieties. Praying about everything with thanksgiving doesn't mean we forget our responsibilities and yes, tough decisions we will have to make with our business, with our homes, with our families, with our church. Some of us are a little bit, we have this natural disposition to be optimistic and you don't have to try that hard. This is not what the scripture is talking about. We're talking about intentionally trusting in the Lord and experiencing supernatural peace that only he can give. The word today calls us to pray with thanksgiving. It uses three different words, but it really kind of sums up by saying, with everything, come to God in prayer. But what's unique is we're called to pray with thanksgiving. Now, our human pattern is we usually make our request to God, and we, we wait to see if we receive what we requested. And then if and when we receive that request, um, we give thanks. It's like, God, thank you for you know, healing me or giving me that job or um, giving me that opportunity or whatever it is. Here, we're called to pray differently. We are to thank God before we see any responses. We are to acknowledge that whatever God does, right now we don't know. We trust it and we recognize it as good. We're called to thank God ahead with this confidence and trust in God's sovereignty and goodness. We're called to look directly to the greatest thing that God has done, his cross and resurrection, and to be reminded that God is always good and God is always in control. Apostle Paul later on continues in verse 11 about what it means to learn how to be content in all situations, even when you have nothing. And then as you do this, God gives the promise of the peace of God that surpasses, that transcends all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. How does someone like Horatio Spafford, who loses his financial security through that great fire, who loses all of his daughters, still sing, it is well with my soul. It is only through the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, supernatural peace that only he can give because they are in the Lord. During this COVID pandemics, you may be feeling financially insecure. You may feel lonely. You may even feel overwhelmed with no time for yourself. The Lord calls us to come to him in prayer with thanksgiving, thanking him for the cross, recognizing his goodness and his sovereignty and trusting his response before he responds. And as we do that, he promised that his peace that surpasses any human understanding 
will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. But you know what? If we don't pray, and if we don't pray this way, we won't receive this peace. We have to pray with thanksgiving. We need that peace. Our church needs that peace. But this can only happen as we cultivate this making of peace within the church, rejoicing in the Lord, being reasonable and gentle with one another, and praying with thanksgiving. I love verse 7, which gives us a picture. This peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. The the word guard is is a military term that's referring to soldiers who are on guard duty. Um, The Philippian church would be envisioning Roman troops stationed around the city to protect their interest, kind of like today's UN peace troopers. And if you have an army like this that protects you, you sleep well at night because you know you are in good hands. And just as soldiers guarded and protected a city here, the, the promise of God is that his peace, his peace which surpasses all human understanding, his peace will guard those who believe in him. And you can sleep well at night and not be anxious. To those who confidently trust in him, his peace will guard. The peace of God, this confidence and trust in God's goodness and sovereignty is the opposite of anxiety. And as we have walked through Genesis, Exodus, We know that the natural consequence of turning away from God has been this restlessness and anxiety that we humanity experience. We turn to the fifth exhortation or fourth general exhortation, which ends with thinking praiseworthy thoughts. A wise teacher said, you are not what you think you are, but what you think you are. We exhorted to think holy thoughts, true things, noble things, right things, righteous things, pure, lovely, admirable things, not false things, base things, sleazy, disgusting, discable things. The difference between our thoughts and God's thoughts are not degrees, but of the kind. When you look at this list, you realize, because I do too, that God's thoughts are holy and ours are not. We live in a day and age where we are called and challenged and reminded, hey, listen to your heart, follow your heart. But scripture here tells us, no. Think about this instead. Talk to your heart, preach to your heart, speak truth to it, meditate on the truth and holy, godly, praiseworthy things. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his Spiritual Depression book, you could actually also listen to it on monergism. There are like 24 sermons on it, and there's a study guide if you look for it. I suggest you listening, or you could buy a Kindle version. But he writes these words. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you 
The moment you wake up in the morning, you have not originated them, but they are there talking to you. They bring back the problem of yesterday. Someone's talking. Who's talking? Yourself is talking to you. Now, this man's treatment in Psalm 42 is this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why are you cast down, O my soul, he asks. His soul has, had been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. Do you know what I mean? If you do not, you have had but little experience. The main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. You must say to your soul, why are you cast down? What business have you to be disquieted? You must turn on yourself, upbraid yourself, condemn yourself, exhort yourself, and say to yourself, hope in God, instead of muttering in this depressed, unhappy way. Brothers and sisters, you may be tempted, you may not, but if you are tempted, don't go to these relaxation techniques to find peace. That's not true peace. Those are just escapes. Think instead on praiseworthy, God-sized, holy, lofty things of God. Go to God and his word. Watch less media, read less news, read less worldly books. Turn to his word, to his praiseworthy things. And think about these things and let these words speak to your soul. Paul ends this passage by saying, practice what he has taught, what they have learned, and the, peace of, and the God of peace will be with you. C.S. Lewis said, expectations are everything. You can enter a motel-like room and be impressed if you're told that this was a prison room, because you don't expect prison rooms to have certain amenities. But if you're told by entering the same room that this was a, like a honeymoon suite, then you'll be horribly disappointed and maybe even disgusted. Our expectation affects how and what we see. And I think most Christians start their Christian journey with perhaps unbiblical, improper expectations. We think life is not supposed to be like this. But then, according to whom? If you are cast down all the time, if you are anxious all the time, perhaps it's because you don't expect the peace and joy to be attacked. Just look at the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at disciples like Paul's life. Look at the churches in the New Testament. Where are our expectations of what Christian life coming from? Remember that the moment you make peace with God, the enemy, the evil one, makes an enemy of you. So we have to think of warfare. We need to have proper expectation of warfare or else we will get destroyed. But remember, the evil one cannot take away your salvation. We can't overestimate, but we can't underestimate either. Brothers and sisters, be ready to make peace with those in your church because you will have conflicts. Expect conflicts, but be ready to make peace. Be ready to be reasonable with those around you. Be selfless because you will be tempted to be selfish. 
because the sinful nature is still there, active, especially in a day like today. Be ready to rejoice in the Lord always because you know what? You will be, we will be tempted to complain. We will be tempted to be angry. We will be tempted to only rejoice with certain situations. Maybe tempted to be happy after we get something instead of truly rejoicing in the Lord. Be ready to pray with thanksgiving because you will be tempted to be anxious. Be ready to think God-honoring, praiseworthy thoughts because we will be tempted to settle for lesser things. And be ready for the promise of God, this peace of God that surpasses all understanding to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Join me as we pray. Lord, we need more of your supernatural peace to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Lord, to receive this promise, would you be patient in training us to make peace with one another? Rejoice in the Lord always. Be selfless in the way we interact with our brothers and sisters. Not be anxious about anything, but with everything, with prayer and thanksgiving, make up petitions before you and think praiseworthy things of God. And in so doing, may the peace of God that transcends all understanding guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Amen.